Good morning. Hey, did you guys notice how David, uh, he came alive when he started talking about fish? <laughs> oh, that's the topic we got to get for him then. All right. Well, it's great to see you. I know, we, uh, as he mentioned, we have a number of visitors this morning. We're blessed that you're here. Thank you for joining us in our heart and prayers that you'll be encouraged and uh, just, you know, sense the love of the Lord here as you uh, chosen this morning to worship and hear the word of the Lord at Calvary with us. So welcome. We're blessed that you're here. Uh, real quick, too, happy birthday to David, Allison. I just saw him downstairs. I where he's hiding. He's outside. Okay. Oh, he's probably with the youth. And then happy birthday to Paul. So David's 16, and Paul's, you're 26, that it is? Yeah, all right. <laughs> happy birthday to our brothers. Uh, next Sunday, as uh, uh, David mentioned, we're, we're going to have another guest speaker. Part of that is starting tomorrow, a group of us, uh, our staff, the guys are going to be going to a pastor's leaders conference uh, in Tokyo. And so I would cover your prayers. Uh, I get to teach one of the main sessions uh, we're going to be doing the seven letters of the churches in the book of Revelation. And so I was asked to teach on Thyatira. And so you can pray for me. Uh, uh, Wednesday night is uh, my teaching slot. So we're going to be in uh, Tokyo that week. Um, and so Derek, good friend of ours, he's on staff with us for a number of years. Um, actually, he's ordained through us as a pastor. And then the Billy Graham Evangelistic Association, uh, a number of years ago when they did a crusade here with Franklin Graham, uh, just basically picked up Derek, uh, all his skill set, and then he became uh, recently the director of all of Asia. And so he's going to be visiting, and initially I thought, hey, Derek, want to come and just give us a quick missions update? We're going to be praying for our missionaries on Wednesday. It'd be a great tie-in. Uh, and then looking at my trip and our travels, I thought, oh, maybe he can just take the service, which he was happy to do, and so I'm happy and blessed looking forward uh, to next Wednesday. So don't ditch church. Uh, and then on the 20th, uh, David Trubeck, I, I haven't had the pleasure of meeting him, but uh, he has spoken a number of churches to include different Calvary chapels. And uh, he's going to be, he's a Messianic Jew. And so he's going to be bringing a message of uh, prophecies of Israel, um, biblical prophecies and how it relates even to our day today. So I'm really excited about that message um, come the 20th. Okay. All right. So just a couple quick things to add on to what David shared uh, we're going to be in James chapter 5. Most of you know we're making our way through the Bible systematically, that book by book and chapter by chapter. We find ourselves in James, the book of James, uh, getting close to the end here, and uh, we're at chapter 5. If you need to borrow a Bible, we'd be happy to loan you one. You just have to raise your hand real high, and uh, these young men will be happy to let you pull so you can uh, follow along with us. Most of you know we're basically kind of making a, a, a slow walk through, uh, unpacking uh, more in a greater way. So we're looking at verses 7 and 8 this morning, just those two verses. I entitled our message, Weight Training. It's a little bit of a play on words in the English. I don't think it translates into Japanese uh, the same way, so I apologize for that. But James has something to say about us being patient and us waiting. And so that's what we're going to be looking at this morning in James 5. Okay? Are you guys there? All right. I'm going to ask you to stand, if you don't mind, please, in honor of God and his word. Again, you don't have to stand very long. It's two verses. We have spoken before of James. He, you know, his, his Hebrew name really is Jacob, Jacob. So in the Japanese Bibles, it actually says Jacob. Um, that's his 
you know, Hebrew name. He is the half-brother of Jesus. He was the leader of the early church. Uh, he came to faith after the resurrection. And his style is one of no nonsense. He just brings it straight. And so we've been uh, reading through and studying together, and we find, again, here James just bringing a very straight, simple and yet significant word for us, inspired of God's spirit, he pens, therefore be patient, brethren, until the coming of the Lord. See how the farmer waits for the precious fruit of the earth, waiting patiently for it until it receives the early and the latter rain. And then he bookends what he just said. You also be patient. Establish your hearts for the coming of the Lord is at hand, or it is drawn near. All right, we'll pause there. I know David prayed, but let, let's pray one more time real quick. Father, we thank you for our morning together. We're reminded of that scene in Jeremiah where you told Jeremiah to go to the potter's house and to observe the, the master craftsman who's working on this piece of clay. And Lord, that visual that scene really just spoke and speaks of us and you, that you are the master craftsman of our life. And, and we are this earthen vessels. We're jars of clay that you are working and shaping and molding. And Lord, you, you use many tools to bring us into maturity, into the image of Christ, and as we'll be reminded this morning, one of those tools is suffering, it's pain, it's patience. And God, I pray that we wouldn't um, reject that work or that we wouldn't balk at that or, or try to uh, run away from that. But Lord, that we would today, by your grace, understand uh, your heart behind that and what you desire to accomplish through it. And so we give you our time this morning and pray by faith and trust that you'll speak to our hearts and meet us exactly where we're at. We love you, Jesus, and it's in your name that we pray. Amen. Amen. Would you take a moment, say hello to a neighbor, somebody new, you can greet somebody new and introduce yourself. I don't know what happens in your heart initially when you just hear the words, that phrase, be patient. Uh, I know what happens to me initially. Uh, I get triggered. <laughs> uh, I, I don't necessarily like that phrase, right? Be patient. For me, I'm like, no. That's my immediate response. Uh, it, it, I mean, just to hear it, the, the word patience or the term patience, it makes me a little nervous. And yet we, we come to it here in the book of James. In two verses, James essentially says it three times, to be patient, or to be patient like the farmer. And, and I think when it comes to patience, if you're like me, it's something that uh, 
maybe you would agree that we, we lack, that we can definitely use more of. Uh, and yet, uh, we still have a long way to go. Right? Something we need, but we lack so much. And, and I want to submit to you, I think the reason why is because of our, by default, our nature, which is sinful, which is selfish, doesn't like to be patient. Uh, again, if you're like me, I like immediate results. I, I like quick and fast I want it now. <laughs> um, and I think that's the role that we live in. That you and I, we have become accustomed to immediate gratification. We've been conditioned by that uh, to the point where we expect it then. When it doesn't happen, then, you know, there's like something's wrong or I'm going to change the line or I'm going to get a different provider or whatever it may be. And, and so much so, I think our expectation then of immediate and instant gratification, uh, we bring that same idea and expectation into our spiritual life. And so then when it comes to our prayers, we're like, Lord, I'm going to pray this prayer, and I, when I open my eyes, I want to be able to see this. Well, we may not say it out loud, but perhaps it's an expectation that we hold. And we bring that same expectation and what we're accustomed to then into our Christian walk, uh, into the work of the Lord. And have you discovered, and I have discovered, that God doesn't work that way. <laughs> God's timetable is nothing like my timetable. And the Bible tells us so. In the Old Testament, the prophet Isaiah, in Isaiah 55, verses 8 and 9, he says, speaking on behalf of God, my thoughts aren't your thoughts. And my ways aren't your ways. If I could take a little liberty, and my schedule and timetable isn't your schedule or your timetable. For as the heavens are higher than the earth, he goes on to say, for my thoughts are higher than your thoughts, and my ways are higher than your ways. And so we understand that to a degree, and yet we still live in this world, and we live in a culture that gives great value to speed. And we appreciate quickness. And we, I mean, we pay good money for it, don't we? I mean, who here uh, pays good money to have high-speed internet? Anybody old enough to remember dial-up? Those tones? I mean, those tones trigger me, right? Like, my kids have no idea. They're like, this thing's buffering. I'm like, just wait, it's fine. Or we pay money to, you know, for express toll. I admit, I'll pay 200 yen to get to three to four. Right? Just going on the expressway, I'm going one exit. I'll pay, two, I'll pay two bucks for it. Bullet trains, instant noodles, fast food. Actually, you know what? Uh, we, my, we have a pretty nice rice cooker at my house, Japanese. It takes about an hour to cook. And, and it's a good pot of Rice, don't get me wrong. But have you seen those, the microwavable ones now? They sell? Two minutes. Whoever invented that thing, I love them. <laughs> I'm like, I'll just eat this one as an appetizer while the other pot, you know. <laughs> we love speed, don't we? We love quickness. I want it now. Electronic payments, next day delivery. 
Sometimes people freak out. They're like, what do you mean Amazon Japan doesn't do two-day delivery? No, you got to wait three days. Yeah, yeah. four days. Yeah, how about, how about digital cameras now? I, I chuckle at when I take pictures of kids. Immediately, right? They're like, I want to see. I'm like, you have no idea. When I was a kid, we had to drop off this thing and, and wait, you know, weeks until the pictures came back. Anybody remember that? And then when your parents forgot it, you're like, oh, this is from three years ago. That's our Christmas picture. <laughs> there is one thing, though, I think that most of us are pretty willing to be patient for. A good cup of coffee, right? Usually. I know, because I've waited uh, you know, long enough to get a yucky cup of coffee. And I'm like, ah. But we, we live in a, a go-go, hurried, very frenetic world. That's the world we live in. And along with that, we expect things now and immediate, and we've become accustomed to that. And so when we find ourselves in our life, and we come to this place in our life where then we have to, and it's a good phrase, exercise patience. We have to practice patience. It can be a challenge. It can be a real challenge. And then we add in then to patience the experience of pain and suffering wrongdoing, being in a place where you are hurt or being taken advantage of, it can compound very quickly. And that can turn, if we are not mindful of that, quickly into uh, resentment, bitterness. Uh, We want to withdraw. Why? Because we don't like to wait. And there's times where I'm in line, I'm like, this line's taking too long, and I will change lines. Then I'm like, I should have stayed in that first line. (laughs) We don't like it, right? We don't like to suffer. It's part of our nature. We want to avoid it. We'll do all that we can. And yet, the Bible tells us something very challenging, and it's a harsh truth, but it's true nonetheless, that we're called to patience. We are called to exercise patience. We're called to wait on the Lord sometimes. We're called to let God be God and be still and know that he is God. I mean, we're called to perseverance through difficult things. Endurance, the Bible says. You're in need of endurance on this race of faith that we all have been called to. And let me, let me add this. We've actually even been called to suffer. You realize that? That is part of what God has called us as Christians to experience. We don't like it, and yet it is true nonetheless. The Bible says, Not only have you and I been appointed to believe upon the name of Christ, but we also are appointed or granted, uh, Philippians 1.29, to suffer for the name of Christ. And what James has already revealed to us as a way of reminder and context, way back in chapter 1, is that is part of God's work in your life and mine. It's part of God's great work as the master craftsman working in our hearts because he wants to grow you and mature you, make you and me into the image of his son. And one of the tools that God uses, although I think, oh Lord, I would rather use other tools, is the tool of suffering, of hurt, of frustration, and learning to wait, learning to wait on the Lord. Now we've been talking about how Uh, God's grace in our life changes, should change everything as a believer. 
Uh, the last few weeks, like, I revisited that theme, and we looked at that in detail of how God's grace changes the way we view time, and to realize time is precious, and time is a gift, and we're to make the most of what you know, God has given us. We, we looked at how God's grace changes the way we view money, material things, and how God blesses you and me, and there's times where we might have a little extra, and the question then is, what does the Lord want us to do with that, and how can we invest in the kingdom of God, and not just for ourselves? We talked some weeks ago, perhaps even months ago, in the beginning of James, James chapter 1, and he actually comes back to this topic right here in these two verses, how the grace of God also changes our perspective on pain, on temptations, on trials. Because dark days and rough roads and tough times, that happens. That's life. But how do we respond to that? And how can we look at that? Because remember, he, he started with a challenge in the beginning of James 1. He says, count it all joy when you fall into various trials. And the question is, how can I do that? Because that's not my default. I don't count it joy. I think it's terrible. And often my prayer request is, get me out of this, Lord. Deliver me. And yet the, James tells us, listen, we can trust the process. We can have faith in God because God is faithful. And while we may not see him at work or sense him at work, what James tells us is God is still at work. In fact, he's going to use that time when you're suffering, when you're hurting, even though you're like, get me out of this now, God says, I'm going to use this to build your faith stronger. And so he returns, if you will, to that same idea here in these two verses. And what James does is, it's real simple, by the way. It's a simple but yet significant exhortation. He's going to give us an exhortation. He'll repeat it three times. That's be patient. He's going to give us an illustration, which we'll unpack and talk a little bit about the farmer. And then he's going to give us the motivation. In fact, the motivation will come three times in three verses for the coming of the Lord is at hand. The judge is standing at the door. So let's roll through and we'll unpack this as we normally do uh, for us you know, at Calvary in our normal style. Verse 7, he says, Therefore be patient, brethren. We'll pause right there. How many times we've come across that one phrase, therefore, and you've been in church before, you know, ask what therefore is therefore. It's a connector of idea and thought. We want to be good Bible students. We want to be good Bereans. Uh, even though we're jumping in the middle of this, we want to make sure we understand the context. So therefore ties us back to previous thoughts. It is an application that James is providing. Therefore be patient in response to what he's just said. Well, what did he just say? James had been writing some, I would say, strong things. Remember, we liken James as like an MMA fighter. The bell rings and he just comes out swinging, right? flying knee drop. But particularly strong in chapter 5, verses 1 through 6, it's almost a condemning word. 
It's a strong indictment, and along with that is this warning basically to a a group of people where he calls them out, and he says, you rich, you rich, the rich people, weep and howl and mourn. He talks about how judgment's coming upon them and that they've misplaced their priorities and their investments and these things. And and we looked at that in context and basically said, these are people who uh, had a lot of material wealth but no spiritual wealth at all. And they trusted in that. They lived in this decadence, in this opulence, wasteful, where they idolized their wealth. And on top of that, they exploited the poor. They took advantage of other people. They were holding back salaries. And all the while, what James says is, if I can paraphrase, he's saying, you rich snobs, you better check yourself before you wreck yourself. Because you think that just because you have money and it can buy you places anywhere you want and give you inroads to any place that you want on this side of eternity, there's no guarantee that you got a seat in heaven. That's kind of the idea. And so they were living not only in arrogance, but also in ignorance. And they're oppressing God's people to include James's audience. And so James is saying, listen, you see how they're living and how you've been treated? God's going to take care of them. So therefore, you be patient. You hang in there. I mean, the way that the world was treating them. Now, we don't know specifically, but we might conclude that perhaps even them as believers of Christ, they were specifically targeted just because they're Christians. You know, in our world today, is really no different. There are godless people in power who have a very specific, and I would even say very evil agenda, to dismantle and to tear down everything that's godly. You know, God designed and defined really what society should be. Beginning with, our value of life, our dignity and worth as human beings, the fact that every single one of us, and the born and the unborn, created in the image of God. And we look at the world today and they want to redefine that. They want to change the definition of what life is and value is. And God, the Bible says God created them male and female. And you look at the world today and the ideology of They want to mess with that. The definition of marriage. God says one woman, one man for their lifetime. The foundation of family, the foundation of society. And all of it, that's coming under attack. And so then we as Christians stand up and say, I believe what the scripture says. Oh, what happens? You become the villain. Biblical values then become vilified. It's the Christian and it's the church and it's those of us who stand on biblical principles. Well, we become the target now. And again, I I believe it's an evil ideology. It comes in different names in different seasons. I think the term that most people use today is wokeness. Again, we have to be awake and alert and wise to these things. 
But this is the, a similar world that the, uh, the original audience of James was living in, and they're going through these things. And so what is then our response to that? What is our charge as believers in light of injustice, in light of the things that are unfair and um, you know, what we experience, what we go through, what others go through at times? Well, there are a lot of different options that we have at our disposal. James puts a big one on the table when he says, therefore, be patient. In other words, he says, wait. In the original Greek, that that word basically means be long-fused. Don't blow up. Don't implode. Let your fuse be long. Now, uh, I have to confess to you, uh, for many years before I knew Christ, and even after I came to the Lord, my fuse was not long. It was short. And it's still something for me that the Lord is working in. I have not arrived. There are certain things that still <laughs> get my goat pretty quick. But I'm embarrassed to say, though it's funny now, and I think like the Lord's delivered me from this particular thing, but it used to be uh, if when I was trying to make an over-medium egg, and if I broke the yolk, I would redline. I would go crazy. And I'm not, I'm not, I'm not a, uh, proud of this story at all. There was one time where I was trying to make it, and I flipped it over, and the yolk broke, and I got mad, and I punched the stove. Boom! Immediately, I'm like, how dumb am I? So I feel like Paul, right? Thank God I'm not who I used to be. But I'm not who I want to be yet, and by the grace of the Lord, he's still working. But, but this word, this, this exhortation for us is be long-fused. I'm okay if I break the yolk, by the way, in my eggs now. I just make scrambled eggs. I'm like, all right. I got a plan B. Anyways. Listen, practicing patience, right? Exercising patience, it, it's a hard discipline. Let's be real. It's a hard discipline. And yet it's a discipline that we're called to nonetheless. And I, and I would say perhaps it's especially hard for many of you, because I know a number of you, and you are the take action types. Right? You're not necessarily like, let me just wait and see type. You are the let's get to work. Oh, there's a problem, we'll fix it. Because I know there's times where I'm like, hey, can you pray for this? Like, what's the problem? Here, I'll provide a solution. And I appreciate that. But many of you are wired that way. Like, let's go. Let's go now. And you want to get to work. And so it's hard then when, when God says, wait. Be patient. Because our tendency can be, well, I want to fix it. I want to fight it. Or sometimes it's, I want to flee it. I don't want this, so I'm going to take an exit. And many of you want to find a solution, and you want to engage it head on. That's the way that you're wired. You know, for me, there's usually a a direct relationship between how much the situation for me bugs me, frustrates me, infuriates me to the level of the fight that I want to bring to it. You know, if it's small things like, eh, but if it's something that I think affects me, then I can get, you know, pretty emotionally charged. Even to the point where my own kids are like, Dad, you're kind of like a Karen sometimes. You know that phrase? Where did that come from, by the way? Who was the original Karen that messed it up for all the other Karens, right? 
Because the Karens that I know, and we have a couple in our church, they're pretty cool. <laughs> they're not like, you know, I don't. Which is really just a U.S. thing, by the way, for our Japanese brothers and sisters and other. Although in Japan, there is a, there is a, a type of equivalent. It's called Ijiwaru um, Bachan. used to be a TV show that was called that. But basically, Grumpy Grandma. Ijiwaru <laughs> Bachan. A couple years ago, we were flying. This is when our family got, we went to Cali and we got COVID fornia. You all got COVID that, that year. We're trying to make our connector. You guys ever fly from Haneda to Narita? You got to take the bus, right? So we arrived. I'm like, we got to go. We're going to miss our flight. It's a lot of money. Uh, and our luggage didn't come. Like it, we're waiting for our luggage. And I went and told the ground crew, lady super nice. Oh, okay, okay. And then she just runs off, you know. I'm like, all right. Maybe she's going to go look for our luggage. We waited, we waited. There's a second person like, ah, the first person looking for our luggage. Oh, okay. What's your flight number? And then she ran off to <laughs> It felt like days passed, you know, minutes, but I'm like, we're going to miss our flight. And then I didn't see anybody. And so I, I became a, a little animated. I'm like, hello, where's my luggage? And my kids are all embarrassed and I asked Christy the other day, she's like, oh yeah, I was embarrassed too. They, you know, they all left me just standing by myself. Who's this crazy Karen man, you know? We get like that, don't we? Oh Lord, forgive us, huh? It's hard. And, and, and we can go through some things that man can just get us. And, but here's the thing, the believers here that James is addressing, they were going through some tough stuff. And their faith was being tested. And they're looking at uh, a world around them that was maligning them, mistreating them. But they would say, that is unfair. And James says, be patient. Be patient. That God knows you're tempted to fight this thing. That it's in you, that you're the fixer. And that's what you're kind of known for. But maybe the Lord today would say to you, hey, be patient. Wait. Let him work out what he wants to work out. What God is doing. I mean, don't get me wrong. It, there are times where God will say go. There are times where God will say fight. There are times where God will say flee. For us, then it's the matter of figuring that out. Lord, what are you saying to me in this season? What do you want me to do now? We have examples of that. In the gospel, in John chapter 10, we read it. Well, actually, we read two similar occasions. One where it's the religious leaders. They are unhappy that Jesus has been ministering to the people, that he's winning their hearts. Right? They're losing their control over their religious power. And so it says that they sought to arrest him. They begin to plot to kill him. And so they make motion to arrest him. And then John 10.39, it says, and Jesus eluded their grasp like a ninja. I mean, even in, I think a little earlier in that same chapter, very similar, though it's a different scene. He's, he's feeding the crowd of, of 5,000. Everyone's blown away. Like, look at this guy. He can make food. They realize his uh, miracle working ability. And we read that, that they thought, and Jesus knew their thoughts, that they wanted to take him by force and make them their rebel, their rebel leader. 
we're going to overthrow the pagan Romans. And Jesus, knowing their thoughts, it says he, he escaped. There are times where God will say, hey, it's not time to fight. You need to just step away from that. Don't engage. Let it be. Just let it go. Take a different route. And so there's times where the Lord leads us that way. I mean, there are times where the Lord, I mean, even when you think about the Apostle Paul, I think of another example. Um, word gets to him, there's a contract put out on his head. I forget what city he's in, so I apologize, but word gets back to him and they're like, hey, this is what we're going to do. Paul doesn't say, great, let's muster up a small army, find some weapons, we're going to fight these guys. Let's bring them to fight, God's on our side. Nope, they lower him in a basket over the wall in the cover of night. And so there are times where the Lord says it, we, got, we just take the exit. But there are other times where the Lord will lead you to fight, to stand your ground. And there's plenty of examples of that. Again, I think about the Apostle Paul, how God was working with him. He's preaching the gospel. He's there in Jerusalem. It creates this kind of a commotion, almost this riot to the point where the Roman soldiers have to intervene. They arrest him in the book of Acts. And as they arrest him, they begin to pound on him, right? They start thumping him. Now, he's been beaten before, right? Paul's like the Timex missionary. Takes a licking, keeps on ticking. You guys know what Timex? We had dinner the other night with a couple, and uh, they're like, hey, how do you remember everybody's name? I was telling a story to somebody earlier. And I'm like, ah, oh, it's hard for me. My Rolodex spins slow. And then she says to me, what's a Rolodex? <laughs> I'm an old man. That's what it is. Yeah. I can't swipe fast enough. That's the equivalent. Yeah. If you don't know what a Rolodex is, get out. No, just kidding. <laughs> just, I'll, yeah. yeah, we'll pray for you. Yeah. You don't know how good you have it. Here you go. Why did I bring that up? I'm an old man. I can't remember now. <laughs> Talking about Paul. Thank you. Thank you. No. Still don't understand how I brought that up with Paul. Oh, but he's getting beaten. So he's getting beaten. And instead of, instead of just saying, all right, hey, we counted all joy. We, we suffered for the name of the Lord. You know the account. Paul basically pulls out his passport and says, hey, is it lawful for you, the centurion's beating him, to beat on me? I'm a Roman citizen. And so Paul, if you will, fought for his citizens' rights. He says, this is not legal, right? He takes a legal battle. In fact, you know, the account, he appeals legally to the equivalent of the Supreme Court. I want to go see Caesar. I want to stand before Caesar. Let's bring this all the way up to the highest court. It was a matter of his personal rights. It was a matter of his citizen rights. And so there are times where the Lord will lead us to fight for what is right. And even for yourself, what's lawful for you in the citizenship that God's given you on this side of eternity. And so... There's a place for that. But along with that, there are many times where God calls you and me to be patient. And maybe today's one of those days. It's hard, right? So it, it's an exercise. And I appreciate that phrase. We have to learn. We have to discipline ourselves to be patient, to wait on the Lord to work. And what does that look like in your life? It's going to look different than it looks like in my life. Waiting for God to give you the green light. Not just run ahead of the Lord. I don't know how many times I've run ahead of the Lord. I'm like, Lord, I ran ahead of you. 
and letting God and trusting that God is working in and working out the situation. Now he's going to come back to that, so we'll, we'll move on as well. Notice the phrase he uses, therefore be patient, brethren. Here it is again. We, we've, every time we come to this, I think we pause and we just remind ourselves, as James did for them, this reminder, a reassuring reminder of the relationship that he has with them, that they're family in the Lord. And I think we noted our last study, so this is two weeks ago, three weeks ago now. In verses 1 through 6, that phrase, which he peppers throughout the book of James, is missing. It's conspicuously missing. Come now, you rich. Even in chapter 4, he says, come now, you who say, we're going to go make these plans. Brethren's missing from that. That's normally what he inserts when he has a little bit of hard things he wants to say. Right? It's a pat on the back, and it's a kick in the pants. He's tough tender. But it's missing in verses 1 through 6. And I, and I suggested to you that perhaps it's missing because he's not really talking to the believer. Well, this, this is a type of letter that would be read amongst you know, all of the community to include Christians and non-Christians. And so for those that were sitting in the audience who were rich and thought, I'm, I got it made in the shade, I don't have to worry about these things, that was addressing them. But to the Christian who was being exploited, to the Christian who's looking around the world and thinking, man, maybe I should play by their rules, James then turns and says, no, listen, you, you hang on, you be patient, family. And it's a good reminder for us. God sees you. God knows the injustice. God knows how you have been uh, maligned and your name's been dragged through the mud. God is fully aware. Nothing escapes him of the wrongs that you've experienced or perhaps even today you're currently experiencing. And even through the midst of that, what, what truth remains is God promises he's going to work it out for his glory and your good. We may not see how in the moment, but we can trust the Lord. And so James says, hang on, family. Don't move. Don't panic. Don't bail. Don't freak. You know what that little phrase reminds us of? The fact that we're ohana or we're familia. Right? We're kazuko. It, it reminds us that we're all with very different backgrounds and ethnicities and, and shades of our skin and shapes of our body. We're all family in Christ. And that God is your father. So I take a little bit of liberty just in this one word to say it's a good reminder for us even when we come into trials you are God's kid. You're God's kid. And God knows the thoughts he thinks towards you. Thoughts to give you a future and a hope. Oh, they're higher than our thoughts and his ways aren't our ways. And he knows what we need. Jesus says in Matthew chapter 6, 32 and 33, he says, you know, the world strives after the things that they are, get consumed by, but your heavenly Father knows what you need. Your heavenly Father knows what you need. Do you believe that? God knows what you need. And so what is our directive then? Jesus says, you then just seek him. Seek God's kingdom and his righteousness. And he gives priority first. You do that first. And all these other things that we can get worked up about and fret about and worry about, God, God knows. So maybe for you, you're tempted, you're in a place where 
you're getting anxious and you're worked up and you're beginning to play the mental chess game and all these things. I don't know, maybe the Lord is saying, hey, you to fight that. There's times where God says that. Maybe God's saying, you just avoid that. But maybe for you, the Lord is saying today, you, you just wait. Today's word for you is this, be patient. Be patient. Then he adds the motivation. So here's our exhortation. We'll get to our illustration in a second. Here's the motivation, which he actually, again, I mentioned three times in three verses, until the coming of the Lord. He's going to talk about how we've got to be careful and when we get impatient, the words that we say, we don't want to be grumbly and complaining, especially to one another. We'll talk about that uh, in a couple weeks. The judge is standing at the door. But here is this critical perspective that James inserts for us to help us then. How do we endure? How, how, do, we, how do we hang on then? How do we hold back from saying, you know, I don't want to break them off some. And you have the means and the wits and the mouth and the, you know, the money to do it. It's this, knowing that Christ is coming back soon. How do we keep from freaking out when we're mistreated? When we watch the world and all that it does. Exploits people. Terrible things. James says, keep your eyes on Jesus. Keep your eyes on Jesus. Today and for the future. Because there's something there when we understand that we have this blessed hope, right? Living in hope of the return of Christ. It does a number of things. And one of those things is it enables us, it, it, it empowers our endurance. Because we realize there's an end coming. There's an end coming. You know, the older I get, the least, the less I like flying. When I was younger, I'm like, flying, yay! Now I'm older, I'm like, no! Because I feel like the seats have gotten smaller for some reason. Uh, the bathrooms have gotten smaller. And the turbulence has gotten worse, in my opinion. And yet, I realize, oh, there's an end. I'm able to endure because I realize it's temporary. The the harsh reality for us is uh, we may not experience justice or wrongs righted on this side of heaven. The world's corrupted by sin. I'd say the world system is rigged against us. And so justice and mercy and righteousness, lawfulness, honest conduct, when it happens, we're often surprised by it, right? People are like, oh, I still have hope in humanity. Because it's a fleeing thing. And there's an element where we, if you live in Okinawa for a while, you're like, I I love living in Okinawa because I can leave my car unlocked for the most part, right? I spend times where people have like left their wallet or, you ever go to the mall and people just leave their stuff? Like I lived in Southern California, that would never happen. It'd be gone. It'd be gone even if you're sitting at the table with your things, right? <laughs> even if you're home, people just come in your house. But that, the, you know, the harsh reality is that this world's corrupted by sin. And so we're surprised when someone does something nice. 
And you know, sometimes we're not, right? Sometimes we're surprised when something bad happens. But I don't think we should be surprised. That's the, don't be surprised when the world acts like the world. We can pray. We can certainly be discouraged and saddened by you know, evil things and horrible things. But don't, don't be surprised. See, we know the end of the story. If you know the end of the story, we win. <laughs> and we live in this world with a solid assurance and promise that the God, the righteous judge, one day will come and every wrong will be right. It may not happen on this side of eternity. We may have to wait for the other side. But the promise, though, is that Jesus Christ will come back and he will vindicate your endurance and your patience. In fact, James told us he'll actually reward you for your long-suffering. James 1.12, for when we endure, we will be blessed and we will receive the crown of life for those who loved his appearing. Church family, I just want to say it as plainly as I can. Jesus Christ is coming back, and I'll add this, soon. And James tells us, right, he's standing at the door. Jesus made a promise to us that he's coming back for his church. In John chapter 14, encourage you to read that and read through 14 and 15, actually, you know, 16. But he tells the disciples, he says, hey guys, do not let your hearts be troubled. Don't freak out. Don't panic. You believe in God. Believe in me as well. Because I'm going to tell you the truth. In my father's house, there are many mansions. There's many rooms. And I'm going to go and I'm going to prepare a place for you. And when I'm done, I'm going to come back and I'll receive you to myself. If that wasn't the case, I would have told you. But I'm going to go and I'm going to prepare a place and I will come back for you. And when I come back for you, I will take you with me so that you can be with me where I am. And so the Lord gave us this, this amazing promise this blessed hope that you and I get to hold on to. It becomes then our motivation, right, that we're going to endure some of this nonsense and silliness and suffering and all these things like the turbulence on an airplane. You know what I know about the turbulence on an airplane? It's temporary. I don't like it. And I look forward to the landing. I don't like the flying. Christ is coming back. And you know, there's different thoughts and teachings. In fact, I was having a discussion with a good brother, beloved brother about this last night. The debate about the return of Christ usually isn't, is he coming back or not? The debate usually is when. It's usually the debate. You know, a few weeks from now, we're going to celebrate the first coming of Christ, right? The first advent. I think we call Christmas. Where Jesus came, God in the flesh. He left the throne room of heaven. He put on, right, he veiled himself in human flesh, Emmanuel, God with us, incarnate. He was born as a baby. He lived a perfect, sinless life as a substitute for you and for me, because we don't, we can't. The Bible says then he died on a cross as penalty. He was innocent. But even in that, also as a substitute for he who knew no sin became sin so that you and I might become the righteousness of God. He took your place and he took my place. And the Bible says when we believe upon the Lord in our hearts, confess with our mouth, then we enter into salvation, right? We're, we're forgiven of our sins. And that's what God wants for all of us. And that's why Jesus came the first time to bring forth this message, to bring forth this transaction 
open the door for us to be able to get to heaven. But he promised he's coming back again. And when he comes back again, he's going to bring and execute judgment and righteousness to make all things right. We call that the second advent or the second coming of Christ. And our time doesn't permit us. There's a lot of different ideas about that and thoughts about that. And we will unpack those things as we get to First and Second Peter because we'll come back to that same topic. But I think it's safe to say the Bible teaches us plainly Christ is coming back again. There's no debate on that. Well, very little debate. And his return, though, serves as a source of hope and a source of holiness. And James brings that into the equation to know that. Because I don't like flying, as I mentioned. But I realize it's temporary. And the turbulence is terrible. And the seats are small. And it's uncomfortable. But I can hang in there because I know I'm expecting the plane to land and I'm going to go see people I love and get some carne asada you know, <laughs> tacos. So through the discomfort of the situation, I remember it's temporary. There's a day coming. Listen, gang, there's a day coming, if you will, spiritually. The plane is going to land. The trumpet will sound. Put your pencils down. We're going to go home. Redemption, restoration, rest and rescue and retribution, all of that. And James says, don't panic then. Don't, don't freak out. You can be patient for Christ is coming back soon. He gives his own illustration, and it's better than mine. He, um, it's better than an airplane flight. He says, look at the farmer. Look at the farmer. Now he waits for the precious fruit of the earth. So he points to uh, this worker that the original audience would all understand. And I think most of us understand farming. We certainly understand precious fruit of the earth, don't we? For $1,000, you buy a watermelon in Okinawa. We under- <laughs> that is precious fruit of the earth. Right? And some friends like, when they go stateside or other places, they're like, look at the price of the fruit. I block them. <laughs> I report cyberbullying. Don't I want to see that? I'm like, LJ just did that. Look at the price of the limes. I'm like, blocking you, LJ. You know, we, one of the blessings of our building here is we, we sit amongst a farming community. Um, and it's not uncommon when you're driving around just to see some of the folks farming their little plots. In fact, the guy that lives right behind... The owner of the land that lives right behind us is 100 years old. His son, who's 70, <laughs> goes out and farms it. I'm always embarrassed when I walk by. I'm like, I'm getting tired just walking down this hill. And there's this 7-year-old, hardworking, right? Farming is hard work. And he's out there just going for it and grinding. But I watch him as I'm walking by. <laughs> and he's tilling the land and he's, cultivating. And so I think when James points us to look at the farmer to realize, okay, our waiting isn't necessarily passive then. But we're called to an active waiting, meaning that there are things that we can do while we're waiting. Well, we don't want to run ahead of the Lord, but preparing ourselves for when God does say go, or when God does say fight, or when God does, you know, moves us to the next thing. Because the patient farmer pulls the weeds and makes sure the ground is watered and does what he can, does what he can, and leaves the rest to the Lord. And I think it's a great principle for us. We want to do what we can. Do your best. 
But at the same time, you, we just have to let the Lord do what he does. Let the Lord do the rest. Because there are some things that are not in your control. You can control your response and your reactions. You can control your attitude. But you can't control other people. You can't control the monitor. You can't control you know, what happens, but you control how you respond. The farmer can't control the rain. He can hope for it and pray for it and plan for it. But ultimately, you know, he just, it's out of his control. And so he, he's patient, but he's actively patient. And so what does James add to this? He repeats himself. Therefore, like the farmer, you be patient again. So we already unpacked that. But he adds one other thing, and this is where we'll close. Notice he adds, establish your hearts. What does that mean? What do we do then when we're in the waiting period? What do we do when God puts, us, puts you on pause? Strengthen your heart. That's what the idea is. Strengthen, strengthen the inner person. Because I want to submit to you that often there is an eternal work that God is wanting to do in you while you and I are waiting for the external to be worked out. And then sometimes, if you're like me, I'm so focused on the external that I give very little attention to what God's wanting to do in my heart. But sometimes, God puts you in a place, in a fix, or in a jam because he wants to, well, fix you. You are the variable. And through that circumstance, and through those hardships, and through that difficulty, while God's working there, God's working inside of you. And so the question then I think we should ask ourselves is, Lord, what are you wanting to teach me through this? What, what work are you doing in my heart, God? How can I be strengthened for this? You know how we do that? Chaplain Rob Johnson gave us great key to that last week. We hear and we read and we memorize and we meditate on the Word of God. We're strengthened when we come together and we study and read by the word of God. We're strengthened as a function of our body life. We're to encourage each other and spur each other on. Right? Esteem each other better than ourselves. I mean, why is it people get completely knocked off track when trials come and difficulties come? They're waiting, they're waiting to get the answer. It's not what they want and they fall apart. I submit because we haven't established our hearts in the waiting period. Allowing the Lord to do what he wants to do inside of us. And then what happens, all our faith becomes weak and anemic. That's not what God wants for us, though. And so the great question to ask is, Lord, what, what heart lesson are you trying to teach me through this? As I'm waiting for you, maybe that's you this morning. You, you find yourself in a holding pattern and you're anxious about what's next, what the answer is going to be, where you're going to go, did you make the line for promotion? Or, or maybe you didn't. And now the question still remains, like, Lord, what do you want to teach me? And it's a good question to ask. And James would offer this, be patient. Be patient. Don't run ahead of God. Let him work it out. In the grand scheme of things, we can remember Christ is coming back. We win in the end. Let that be a great perspective so that at least it'll take the, you know, the edges off of your response and how angry or angst you get when your bags don't show up. 
And what is the work that God wants to do in your heart in the season of waiting? Well, only you know that right, through the Spirit. But it's a good question to ask. Amen? Lord, we thank you for your word this morning. Two verses. A lot of good stuff there for us. And God, I, I guess I just simply pray that you'd help us to receive and meditate upon what your spirit wants to say to each of us. I imagine it hits a little different for where we're at and what we're going through. Or Lord, perhaps it's even preparation for what's on the horizon. Pray we would give great heed to your word. That we wouldn't dismiss it. That we would meditate through it and pray through it. And Lord, ultimately that we'd be obedient to what your spirit then tells us to do. I thank you for my church family. I thank you that you love us, Lord. I thank that you've promised that you're coming back for us. And that together we have and rejoice in and celebrate not only your first coming, but Lord, you're coming back again. May we then encourage each other all the more as that day comes. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. God bless you, church family.